36. Luke 24, starting at verse 36. Thanks, Luke. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what it is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lay, lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Amen. All right, let's come before our Lord in a time of prayer and then think about this passage. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time uh, that we have now that you've gathered us together. Uh, we thank you for your word and we pray that you'd help us uh, to understand more of it and be obedient to you. Thank you for this time now and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've titled my talk Surprised by Joy. You can see that in the outline heading. But you might have noticed in life that some surprises are better than others. Sometimes it can be a surprise to have a piece of fruit, can't it? You know, the times when uh, the expectations are high. Yummy, yummy, I can't wait to have this piece of fruit. But then on closer inspection, the change in tone can happen pretty quickly, can't it? Ooh, that's not one of my favourites. At my place, that kind of thing can happen when the, the boys might find a, a piece of fruit that's pretty ripe. I think we'll offer Dad this peach. I'm sure he likes them very ripe, but not so ripe that they're sort of melting and dripping. Some surprises are better than others. But other surprises, are, you know, can be a lot better than a, getting a piece of rotten fruit from a kid. Uh, you might have been able to recall times in your life, perhaps cast your mind back to when you were growing up. It might have been a birthday or at Christmas, and there was some gift that you were hoping to get, but you thought that the family budget was too tight or your mum and dad perhaps didn't understand what you wanted. But there on the big day, you've woken up and unwrapped what you've always been waiting for, something that you've, you've wanted, but you didn't expect it. Well, that's a sort of an example of being surprised by joy on those occasions. 
And I think this passage talks a bit more about that second kind of surprise, a good surprise, rather than the, uh, the other surprise, the rotten fruit surprise. Well, let's have a look at the historical context of this passage now. We see um, before this passage, we begin our passage in verse 36, but prior to this, there is joy in this account. That's, that's some of the tone of what we're getting today. Jesus has risen and he's appeared to Peter. And the disciples are together. They're excited and delighted about this, but it's still shrouded in some confusion. We know that Jesus has also met with um, two followers on the road to Emmaus. But now the scene is set where they're all together once again. And as they meet together, Jesus suddenly appears in their midst and says, peace be with you. Now, that's the peace word from the Jewish shalom, which is talking about, it's not quite the American peace brother, um, but this is a, a very surprising moment. Well, who is this? Is it the, the phantom, the ghost who walks? Well, I don't think uh, Jesus is wearing a, a purple sort of lycra costume to start with. And uh, in this situation, we find that they're still trying to work it out and they're, they're talking amongst each other as Jesus appears but what is it that they're talking about that's the question well they could be talking about the fact that Jesus appeared to Peter and uh, they're excited after they've seen the the strips of limit, linen in the empty tomb uh, they could be talking about the the meeting that the, the two on the road to Emmaus had with Jesus but it could also be they're talking about what Jesus has said to them when he opened their minds to understand the scripture. If you're following along, have a look at verse 32 in chapter 24. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They might have been talking about what Jesus has just shown them from the Bible concerning himself. Sometimes it's hard to see how the Bible all fits together as one single message, but Jesus teaches them that it finds its fulfilment in him. But as they're hearing this about Jesus and they're talking about maybe what he's revealed, they're still finding it hard to get a handle on the Jesus that's before their eyes. We see that in verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? They find it hard to believe this is actually real. And it's a surprise it's taking them some getting used to. And in fact, we can actually uh, not blame them at this point, can we? Uh, as we read about the resurrection of Jesus, he's, he's got a renewed body. And as we read, uh, as we read earlier from Luke, that he's ascending into heaven, we're dealing with things that don't happen ordinarily. These are not sort of events that take place in a, in a natural way. So we call them supernatural events. And so if the disciples are standing there and find it hard to believe Jesus is risen, uh, they at one level can be forgiven for that. Just recently I spoke to somebody uh, about what our church values, the, the truth that's taught from God's word and how we actually appreciate that. And the person said to me, yeah, but you don't believe in the virgin birth or the resurrection and that kind of thing, do you? Well, the reality is we do believe that. I mean, the disciples found that hard to believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he's in front of them. 
but we've got a reliable witness here and we do believe those things. Well, the person I was chatting with didn't want to stick around long for that discussion, but we can see that scepticism uh, has, has a long-standing history. It began even with the disciples finding it hard to believe, even when Jesus is there before them. We can see that they had a hard time because Jesus wouldn't have said, why are you troubled and why do doubts still rise in your minds? So what does Jesus do to help deal with their situation? Well, he gives them a sign, doesn't he, to show that he's for real. And so there's sign number one in verses 36 to 40. Sorry, we'll begin at verse 39. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Well, we're acquainted with this story from the uh, John's Gospel where Thomas is doubting Thomas and he, he needs to really see Jesus' hands and the side where he's got wounds to come to grips with the new resurrected body of the Lord Jesus. And it's not the first time that the disciples think they might have seen a ghost as well. Uh, when Jesus walks on water in Mark chapter 6, uh, where we read, They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. And so Jesus seems to give them this sign, uh, showing them his, his wounds to show that he's real and that he is no ghost. Well, their reaction to this is one that's it's movement, it's, it's a movement, isn't it, from a, a growing a disbelief to a little bit more belief. In verse 41, we read, And while they still, still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? Well, there's a tone of uh, excitement that's creeping back, isn't it, where they've been sad that Jesus has died, he's suffered, and they've been disillusioned with a crisis, now they're starting to move towards joy and amazement. They don't need to be disappointed any longer. And being troubled starts to give away to this, this joy. Well, what kind of joy is it? Well, it's a surprised by joy. It's the picture of the kid at Christmas who's getting used to the idea that the gift that they've always wanted is now suddenly theirs. It's, it's hard to believe, but it's now theirs. Now, while their belief is growing, Jesus gives a second sign to show that he is no phantom. Sign number two, in verse 42, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, which is broiled means that it's been exposed to some heat. It might have been baked. He took it and ate it in their presence. And so it's clear that whatever supernatural beliefs they've got about uh, from the Greek or Roman world about ghosts. Uh, here, by eating fish, Jesus shows that he's no ghost. He does have a body. But the kind of body that he has is still a little bit hard for us to get acquainted with. It's a bit hard for us to get our heads around. In fact, I think we're at the limits of our language to describe his body. It's got continuity with his pre-resurrected body because they can recognise that this is Jesus and he's standing there eating before them. And yet his body seems to take on a different kind of character. He appears suddenly before them. In John's Gospel, when he appears, it's recorded in two places that the doors are already locked, and he's there in their presence. 
And so the significance of his state of his body, is, it's impressive. It's hard for us to get a handle on what it's like, but it seems to be a body that's no longer subject to death or decay. Uh, and Paul grapples with what kind of bodies the resurrection bodies are like in 1 Corinthians 15, where he describes it being like going from a seed to a plant. I don't think he knew about DNA. They didn't talk about DNA, but I think a seed's got the same DNA as the plant. So, but they, they look different, but they're, they're from the same thing. And that's the analogy Paul gives. The other thing to note is that there's some encouragement for us in this as well. The Bible speaks about how Jesus has been given a new resurrected body, uh, but we also can look forward to our bodies being transformed as well. Paul describes the kind of hope that we have in the future as Christians as being different to those who don't love the Lord and have their trust in Christ. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus has a glorious resurrected body and we're told that our failing bodies and our failing minds uh, one day will be transformed to be uh, glorious future bodies like his. So there's an encouragement and comfort there for us as God's people as we look forward to that kind of future. So Jesus has given them two signs, hasn't he, to show that he really is an embodied person, that he's not a ghost. But he now wants to show them that the fact that he's risen is still uh, consistent. It accords well with what the Bible's taught. And so he speaks to them about the fulfilment of God's plans in verses 44 to 49. He really integrates the story of Israel, himself and the early church. Let me read to you from verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Some have described this section as being a bit like a cloth that's been sewn together. And uh, if one part represents the history of Israel and, and another part represents Jesus and his coming and another part represents the, the early church, they're really being sewn together here at this point. Uh, Jesus is saying, the things that have spoken about in the past find the fulfilment in me. And then he goes on to show them the implications of the, for that mission that's going out into the world. The whole message of the Bible uh, finds its climax in Christ. Uh, from the promises in Genesis, remember there's a promise that someone will crush the serpent. Uh, Jesus comes as the serpent crusher. He's the one who comes to destroy the devil's work. There's a promise of inheritance to Abraham and his seed. 
And that's fulfilled by Jesus as Jesus brings us into a heavenly inheritance and blessing comes through his work to bring the forgiveness of sins. There was a Passover lamb in the past for the Israelites and Paul describes Jesus as our Passover lamb who's been sacrificed. God's presence was amongst his people in the tabernacle and then in the temple and Jesus is described as Emmanuel, which means God, God with us. Uh, he, he tabernacles amongst his He's the true temple. He was greater than the prophet Moses. He's greater than the high priest. We're told in the book of Hebrews that uh, even though he's from the tribe of Ju- Judah, uh, his priesthood is greater than the high priest. His, his is one in the order of a guy called Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. John describes Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and so he's the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus is the greater king than David who sits on the throne of David forever and fulfills Psalm 2 where the rulers gather against God and his Messiah but Jesus uh, triumphs over them and his enemies are a footstool under his feet. There's a lot of a sermon that could be said about how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And what Jesus is doing is giving the disciples uh, reason not to doubt him. He's showing them that he's risen, that he is bodily risen, and that what's happened is consistent with God's plans and purposes. And so now he reinforces their knowledge of him as the living one who once was dead but now lives forever. And all of this can be very helpful for us too, can't it? As we read the Bible, we start to see, yes, there is a storyline. It's coming from creation to a new creation by way of the redemption that Jesus brings. And we can see that these things, when Luke uses the word must, they must happen. It's a way of saying uh, God's plans aren't going to be stopped. God's plans are not going to be cancelled. He will bring them about. And God's plans continue. From this point, we start to see a movement into the book of Acts and the witness of the early church. That brings us to the next section, really, doesn't it? To the witness of the disciples as the means by which salvation starts to ring out through the world. In verse 46, we read, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of of these things. Well, the disciples were there for a a critical time, weren't they? They they saw the things that Jesus did. They heard what he said. And so they're well placed to be those who bear witness to his mission. Even as Jesus uh, ate the fish with them, we're told that uh, he ate it in their presence. It's reinforcing their, the fact that they're well acquainted with Jesus. And now they've started to understand all the things that, some of the things I've been talking about that, that find their fulfilment in Jesus. They've had their minds open so they can understand the scriptures and they're ready to share the good news. And that's what we start to see happening in Acts, isn't it? Their witness begins in Jerusalem. They start to witness to the Jews. Then it spreads out to Judea and Samaria. By the end of the book of Acts, uh, the Apostle Paul is at the centre of the known world. He's in Rome. He's under house arrest, but he's sharing the gospel freely to everyone who's willing to hear. And so we start to see that's 
The gospel, this is the, uh, you know, there's two forces, the centripetal force and the centrifugal force. The centripetal ones where it comes in like the, the water going down the plug in the sink, uh, the light's coming into the moth. Well, Israel used to be like that. They were a light to the world, but now it's the centrifugal force, which is the, the refugee word, you know, it, it goes out, the fugo. Anyway, so this is the gospel going out. Later, the Apostle Paul also becomes a witness of Jesus, and he takes the message out. And this process continues. This is what Paul says to Timothy. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And so we see that this message of salvation is not something that stays static, but it gets passed on. It's like a, a runner in the, in the relay where they have those aluminium batons that are different colours and kids like to hang on to them at sporting carnivals. And you've got to pass the baton on. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. There are people who've been witnessing what Jesus has done. The world needs to know about this and we've got to pass that baton on, the good news. And each one of us can have a role in that, can't we? God's empowered us with a voice. We can speak. Uh, we can learn a memory verse and we can share, even, you know, most of us know John 3.16. We can share the reason for the hope that we have. As we know that God so loved the world, he gave his only son. We, we can share that. We can shine like stars in the universe as we hold on to the word of life. We can be salt and light in the world as we point people to our hope that we have in Jesus. And so this message that started back then is something that we can be involved in too. And the message is the same, isn't it? And we see it in verse 46. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so for us and for the world, the, the news is the same. Uh, life comes with knowing Jesus. Life comes as people repent, which means they, they turn back from trusting in themselves and they turn and trust Jesus and rely on him. They stop rejecting God's rightful place in their lives as king, put their trust in Jesus and enjoy the forgiveness of sins that he brings. That's the message which we need to hold on to and that's the message we can be involved in sharing in the world. Well, the end of Luke starts to again spill over to, into Acts as we see about the role of the Holy Spirit in verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And so here at this stage, we've been looking back, but we're also looking forward. Jesus has spoken about fulfilling the scriptures. He now looks forward to God's mission that continues through the work of the Holy Spirit, empowering his people to recall the things that Jesus has said and to call his people to challenge those who heard, heard about Jesus. The Spirit comes at Pentecost and people like the Apostle Peter uh, call those in Jerusalem to repent and then the story goes on. But at this point in Luke's Gospel, we see the end game, the ascension of Jesus. So I'll pick it up in verse 50. 
When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Well, as Jesus is ascending into heaven, he carries on still a role, and it's the role of the mediator. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews makes sense of what Jesus is now doing. In chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Well, what does that mean? We'll be saved completely because Jesus is always there to intercede for us. It's part of the overall work of Jesus to ensure our salvation. And it's the idea behind the hymn that you might recall singing, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Do you remember that hymn? Well, we've got someone who intercedes for us. Jesus lives to intercede for us. And so there is a a place of joy in the Christian life. Uh, The disciples had a, a disbelief because of joy, but it continued to change, didn't it? There their belief grew and their joy grew. And we read in verse 52, then they worshipped him and returned to, to Jerusalem with great joy. Well, we can experience that as well. In our age of struggle, we can still be surprised by the joy of Jesus, knowing him, that he's secured our future, that he's secured the kind of resurrection that we need, that he's established our salvation by suffering for our sins and that he continues to intercede on our behalf. We have a great high priest whose name is Love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And I'm sure you can say that too. Well, let us thank God now in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do give you thanks that uh, Jesus does fulfil all of your promises in Scripture. We thank you that Uh, we have the challenge to turn back to you in repentance and that we can exercise living trust in Jesus to enjoy the forgiveness of our sins. Lord God, we give you thanks that Jesus is risen and that he will one day raise us as well uh, with bodies that are transformed to be like his that won't decay or die. And Lord God, we give you thanks that the The message of salvation has rung out as uh, you worked within the disciples through the Holy Spirit to take the gospel message of salvation to the ends of the earth. Lord, we thank you that we've been able to hear that message too and enjoy getting right with you. And Lord, we pray that you'd strengthen us now as your people to persevere to the end of the race and uh, continue with our faith in Jesus our Lord. Lord, we thank you for this encouragement from your word today and your powerful work within our lives through your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time now, and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.